Hello, <clears throat> anyone and everyone. Welcome to episode number 67 of the Nomadic Flex podcast. Today, we're reading an awesome book titled 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. A religious problem. It does not seem reasonable to describe the young man who shot 20 children and six staff members at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut in 2012 as a religious person. This is equally true for the Colorado theater gunmen and the Columbine High School shooters. But these murderous individuals had a problem with reality that existed at a religious depth. One of the members of the Columbine duo wrote, The human race isn't worth fighting for, only worth killing. Give the earth back to the animals. They deserve it indefinitely more than we do. Nothing means anything anymore. People who think things view being itself as inequitable and harsh to the point of corruption and human being in particular as contemptible. They appoint themselves supreme adjectors of reality and find it wanting. They are the ultimate critics. They are deeply cynical. Writer continues, If you recall your history, the Nazis came up with a final solution to the Jewish problem. Kill them all. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, I say, kill mankind. No one should survive. For such individuals, the world of experience is insufficient and evil. So to hell with everything. What is happening when someone comes to think in this manner? A Great German play, Faust, a tragedy, written by John Jahan Wolfgang van Gogh, addresses that issue. The play's main character, a scholar named Henrich Frost, trades his immortal soul to the devil, Mistopheles. In return, he receives whatever he desires while still alive on earth. In Goth's play, Mistopheles, and the eternal adversary of being, has a central defining credo. I am the spirit who negates, and rightly so, for all that comes to be deserves to perish wretchedly. It were better nothing would begin. Thus everything that your terms sin, destruction, evil represent, that is my proper element. Gothi considered this hateful sentiment so important, so key to the central element of vengeful human destructiveness, that he had Mustafali say it a second time, phrased somewhat differently in part two of the play, written many years later. People think often in the Mephesalin manner, although they seldom act upon their thoughts as brutally as the mass murderers of school, college, and theater. Whenever we experience injustice, real or imagined, whenever we encounter tragedy or fall prey to the machinations of others, Whenever we experience the horror and pain of our own apparently arbitrary limitations, the temptation to question, begin and then to curse, it rises foully from the darkness. Why must innocent people suffer so terribly? What kind of bloody, horrible planet is this anyway? Life is in truth very hard. Everyone is destined for pain and slated for destruction. Sometimes suffering is clearly the result of a personal fault such as willful blindness, poor decision-making, or malviolence. In such cases, when it appears to be self-inflicted, it may even seem just. 
people get what they deserve, you might contend. That's cold comfort. However, even when true. Sometimes, if those who are suffering changed their behavior, then their lives would unfold less tragically. But human control is limited. Susceptibly to, sus to despair, disease, aging, and death is universal. In the final analysis, we do not appear to be the architects of our own fragility. Whose fault is it then? People who are ill, or worse, have a sick child, will inevitably find themselves asking this question, whether they are religious believers or not. The same is true of someone who finds his shirt sleeve caught in the gears of a giant bureaucracy, who is suffering through a tax audit, or fighting an interminable lawsuit and divorce. And it's not only the obviously suffering who are tormented by the need to blame someone or something for the intolerable state of their being. At the height of his fame, influence, and creative power, for example, the towering Leo Tolstoy himself began to question the value of human existence. He reasoned in this way. My position was terrible. I knew that I could not find I knew that I could find nothing in the way of rational knowledge except a denial of life, and in faith I could find nothing except a denial of reason. And this was even more impossible than a denial of life. According to rational knowledge, it followed that life is evil and people know it. They do not have yet to live. They do not have to live, yet they have lived and yet they do, just as I myself have lived. Even though I had known for a long time that life is meaningless and evil. Try as he might, Tolstoy could identify only four means of escaping from such thoughts. Once was retreating into childlike ignorance of the problem. Another was pursuing mindless pleasure. The third, continuing to drag out a life that is evil and meaningless, knowing beforehand that nothing can come of it. He identified that particular form of escape with weakness. The people in this category know that death is better than life, but they do not have the strength to act rationally and quickly put an end to the delusion by killing themselves. Only the fourth and final mode of escape involves strength and energy. It consists of destroying life. Once one has realized that life is evil and meaningless, Tolstoy relentlessly followed his thoughts. Only usually strong and logically consistent people act in this manner. Having realized all the stupidity of this joke that is being played on us and seeing that the blessings of the dead are greater than those of the living, and that is that it is better not to exist. They act and put an end to this stupid joke, and they use any means of doing it. A rope around the neck, water, a knife in the heart, a train. Tulsi wasn't pessimistic enough. The stupidity of the joke being played on us does not merely motivate suicide. It motivates murder, mass murder, often followed by suicide. That is far more effective existential protest. By June of 2016, unbelievable as it may seem, there have been 1,000 mass killings, defined as four or more people shot in a single accident, incident. In the U.S. in 1,260 days. 1,000 mass killings in the U.S. in 1,260 days. That's one such event on five of every six days for more than three years. 
Everyone says, we don't understand. How can we still pretend that? Tulsi understood more than a century ago. The ancient authors of the biblical story of Cain and Abel understood as well more than 20 centuries ago. They described murder and the first act of post-Adenic history. Post-Adenic history. And not just murder, but fraternal murder. Murder not only of someone innocent, but of someone ideal and good. And murder done consciously to spite the creator of the universe. Today's killers tell us the same thing in their own words. But who would dare say that this is not the worm at the core of the apple? But we listen, because the truth cuts too close to the bone. Even for a mind as profound as that as the celebrated Russian author, there was no way out. How can the rest of us manage when a man of Tolstoy's status admits defeat? For years, he hid his guns from himself and would and would not walk with a rope in his hand in case he hanged himself. How can a person who is awake avoid outrage at the world? And that's a really deep, deep intro to one chapter in this book. And there's rule, that's rule number six. Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And, and Jordan Peterson goes on to explain some things in great detail about some of the communist parties in Russia and in Germany and some of the religious aspects of that. But we're going to jump forward in the same chapter to hopefully find some closure on this because it's deep and it's dark and well sometimes you got to go deep and dark before you can find the light at the end back to the book clean up your life consider your circumstances start small have you taken full advantage of the opportunities offered to you Are you working hard on your career or even your job? Are you letting bitterness and resentment hold you back and drag you down? Have you made peace with your brother? Are you treating your spouse and your children with dignity and respect? Do you have habits that are destroying your health and well-being? Are you truly shouldering your responsibilities? Have you said what you need to say to your friends and family members? Are there things that you could do that you know you could do that would make things around you better? Have you cleaned up your life? If the answer is no, here's something to try. Start and stop doing what you know is wrong. Start stopping today. Don't waste time. Questioning how you know that what you're doing is wrong if you are certain that it is, Sorry, I'm going to read that one more time. Don't waste time questioning how you know that what you're doing is wrong, if you are certain that it is. Inopportune questioning can confuse without enlightening, as well as deflecting you from action. You can know that something is right or wrong without knowing why. Your entire being can tell you something that you can neither explain nor articulate. Every person is too complex to know themselves completely, and we all contain wisdom that we cannot comprehend. So simply stop. When you apprehend, however dimly that you should stop, stop acting in that particulate, despicable manner. 
Stop saying those things that make you weak and ashamed. Say only things that make you strong. Do only those things that you could speak of with honor. You can use your guides. You can use your own standards of judgment. You can rely on yourself for guidance. You don't have to adhere to some external arbitrary code of behavior. Don't blame capitalism, the radical left, or the iniquity of your enemies. Don't reorganize the state until you have ordered your own experience. Have some humility. If you cannot bring peace to your household, how dare you try to rule a city? Let your own soul guide you. Watch what happens over the days and weeks. When you're at work, you'll begin to say what you really think. You'll start to tell your wife or your husband or your children or your parents what you really want and need. When you know that you have left something undone, you will act to correct the omission. Your head will start to clear up as you stop filling it with lies. Your experience will improve as you stop distorting it with inauthentic actions. You will then begin to discover new, more subtle things that you are doing wrong. Stop doing those too. After some months and years of diligent effort, your life will become simpler and less complicated. Your judgment will improve. You will untangle your past. You will become stronger and less bitter. You will move more confidently into the future. You will stop making your life unnecessarily difficult. You will then be left with the inevitable bare tragedies of life, but they will no longer be compounded with bitterness and deceit. Perhaps you will discover that your now less corrupted soul, much stronger than it might otherwise have been, is now able to bear those remaining necessary, minimal, inescapable tragedies. Perhaps you will even learn to encounter them so that they stay tragic, merely tragic, instead of degenerating into outright, outright hellishness. Maybe your anxiety and hopelessness and resentment and anger, however murderous initially, will recede. Perhaps your uncorrupted soul will then see its existence as a genuine good, as something to celebrate, even in the face of your own vulnerability. Perhaps you will become an ever more powerful force for peace and whatever is good. Perhaps you will then see that if all people did this in their own lives, the world might stop being an evil place. After that, with continued effort, perhaps it could even stop being a tragic place. Who knows what existence might be like if we all decided to strive for the best? Who knows what eternal heavens might be established by our spirits, purified by truth, aiming skyward right here on the fallen earth? Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And again, this book is 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. If you, well, first of all, I recommend you get this book. I recommend you read it. If you want to go deep into how to fix your life. And believe me when I say I've 
I have gotten mad reading this book. I've cried reading this book. I've laughed reading this book. It hits a lot of sensitive topics and explores them so deeply and so completely that it leaves you feeling fulfilled after. And I think I think that's all I've got for today. I think we can all agree that I sure know that I'm going to go out and do what I can to be more peaceful and more worldly and not hold on to resentment and not be bitter and not fall prey to anger and not be quick to judge and give some people the benefit of the doubt. And I know for sure that I will keep my own house in order before criticizing anyone else. And with that, I think that's all we've got for you. (sighs) Until next time, this is the Nomadic Flex Podcast. My name is Isaiah. We'll see you next week. Out.